0: Hello, everybody. This week's parsha is Parshas Chukas, and the parsha begins with the words Zeis Chukas Hatera. This is the chuk the decree of the Torah, and then it goes on to describe the halachas, the mitzvah of Paraduma. And all the mepharshim, the Arachayim, they ask a question: Why is it called Chukas Hateira? the chuk of the Torah? Should say Zeis Chukas Hapara. This is the chuk of Paraduma, like we find a in Pesach. The Torah says Zeis Chukas Hapesach. Why is this known as chukas Hatir? So, I saw our Marisha Feinstein in the Sefer Drash. Moshe explains as follows. He says, what's the chik? What's this, this decree, this thing that no one can understand about Paraduma? So the Gemara tells us, the main fundamental, so to speak, difficulty with parahaduma is the fact that, <clears throat> the dichotomy of it. On one hand, it's metahir, it purifies those who are tameh person who touched a dead person, the person who touched a dead body, they put Paraduma ashes on them, they become tar, they become pure. And yet, the person who sprays the ashes of paraduma, he becomes tummy. How could it be How could it be that one thing is, on one hand, it makes things pure, on the other hand, it seems to be evil, so to speak, and it makes things tummy? How could that be? It says much Weinstein, this is something which is fundamental throughout the Torah. Zeis chukas This idea that one thing is not necessarily good or not necessarily bad. It goes both ways. He says, for example, covet, honor, when it comes to a person himself, he should run away from honor. A person is supposed to be unloved, supposed to be someone who's humble, who's modest, who he doesn't want honor, he runs away from it. Yet, when it comes to another person, to your friend, a person is supposed to be worried about his friend's honor to the tenth degree they there trying to make sure to give him covet, trying to mechavet him, trying to think through how he give him the most covet, how could he not hurt his honor. And you find this throughout Torah. Who's the biggest, one of the biggest tzaddikim we ever know? Avram Avinu. Avinu. is somebody who, he willing to throw himself into a fire for Hashem's sake. He's somebody who, Torah tells us, he tells his wife, Atta yadati Kisha ki misham he sells to Sarah after many, many years of marriage. Now I recognize that, that you're a beautiful woman. Says Rashi, he means till then he didn't look at her. And they're going down to Mitzrayim, it was practical, he had to check, you had to see. So he looked at her. And yet, this Sadiq knew what happens? He gets these malachim that come to him, these people who he thinks are just regular passerby, and he becomes the biggest Baal there is. He's making tongues, crusted in mustard, he's serving them butter. Bread, fresh bread. Why? Said the Baalim Moshe, because Yenim's gashmius, someone else's physical pleasure, is your Ruchnias. That's your Madriga. Gashmias' physicality can be two things. For a person himself, it can be destructive. For somebody else, it can be a mitzvah. And that is the chukasa that's going on in this exposure. The ability to recognize and to balance the idea that things are not one-sided. They could be for sometimes they could be a good thing, and sometimes they could be a bad thing. And you have to understand that and know how to work with them. So I want to say a story on this concept. There's there were, one of the rishis of Philadelphia yeshivas. That's all Mendel Kaplan. He was an amazing person. There's a whole book about him. But he used to teach in yeshiva the whole week in Philadelphia, and then he would drive back to Brooklyn where his family was for Shabbos and the Summers family was in the Bungalow colonies up in the Catskills. And once a Bacher who got a ride with him back to the Catskills for Shabbos, and they're driving in the car. And their mental told them, Just you know, if you don't mind, I have to stop off on the way. I'm gonna go a little out of the way. I have to go to the store somewhere, pick up some pickles. Okay, interesting, fine. They're driving. They go, they go out of the way, they get to the store, they get, your mother goes into the store, comes out with a jar of pickles. Fine, and they go up to the cat So, the bachor can't hold himself in. He's like, Rebbe, like, what's with these pickles? Like, why are we getting, going all out of the way to get these pickles? He told them an interesting thing. He said, you know, I don't see my wife every day. I'm, I'm in yeshiva. I only see her once a week. And for her, it's, you know, so she, makes, she, puts, she puts a lot of effort into making the Shabbos meal to make it special. She, puts, she makes really good food. She tries to make all my favorite stuff. She tries to make it perfect. And, you know, of course, I always tell her thank you. I always try to show her that I appreciate it. But she has a suspicion that, you know, I don't really care about these kind of things, about food and, gosh, she she, she, she has that suspicion about me. So I go, and I pick up this jar of pickles, and I make a whole big deal how I like these pickles, and they're a big deal about me because I want her to recognize and to think that I'm somebody who does care about these little details. And that way she'll get full appreciation. A sense of you know gratitude, when I say thank you for her, for the meal she makes for me on Shabbos. Everybody's that remember Kaplan is somebody who really couldn't care less about pickles. He couldn't care less about this food, but he could hear about his wife's feelings, and for him, he's willing to go make spend his time and to make a whole big deal out of a thing of pickles to make somebody else feel good. The parsha tells us that ultimately Paraduma is a chayk. It's a chayk, it's something which can't be understood. Rabbi Levavitz, of Mir, in his safer Das he asked the question, why couldn't Hashem tell us the reason for Paraduma? What's the big deal? Just tell us. And he asked your wife, why do you like, because, why, why, I'm not saying. Why, well, Hashem can say, why can't Hashem tell us? Ah, you're going to say there is no reason. Hashem didn't tell us because there's no reason for it. It's a decree, he wants to see if full we'll will listen. This says, clearly that's not true. You look in the Pasuk in Kehelis. Shaliyah says, "Echuma, I became wise, v'hi rechayka and still far from me. It says the Medrashan, Chum was talking about Paraduma. aduma. gained a lot of knowledge from it. He tried to understand. He got stuff from it. He even managed to grasp certain parts of it. But still, to fully understand it, it was rechayka and it was too far from him. You see clearly that there's what to understand. There is what to understand and there's a reason for it, but it's just too elusive to fully understand it. To fully grasp it, nobody can fully grasp it. So if there is a reason for it, why not Shem just tell us what the reason is? Why do he make it so complicated and so hard to understand that no one can grasp it? Why not make it simple? He says a fundamental point. He says, you tell a guy, look, you see this table? guy says, yeah. It's like, Do you understand that how this table works. He says, sure, it has four legs, it has a plank on top, it stands, you can eat on it, I got it. So that's true. Well do you understand why he needs to have four legs not three legs? So yeah, well there's gravity. And then you start to ask him why this material not that material, what makes it that the things keep together. And he got to a point where he doesn't fully understand all the mechanics, all the physical realities behind the table, but the basic idea of a table he gets. What that means is in everything in life there's a simple understanding. And then there's a complex, more detailed understanding, which not necessarily everyone gets. And the same thing applies to mitzvahs. There's no mitzvah technically which we fully, fully understand. Yet some mitzvahs Hashem gave them a sort of more obvious, simple reason. And some mitzvahs He didn't. Now why did He do that? So, the idea is as follows. You have a teacher who's teaching a student. Now... That reason why one person is a teacher and one person is a student is because the teacher knows significantly more than the student, and he's trying to teach him and explain to him things which he doesn't understand himself as a student. So therefore, if the teacher only taught the student things the student, the student can fully understand, the student would be limited, because there's a lot of things which he doesn't know and can't fully understand all the reasons behind them yet, but he needs to learn there from his teacher. says in The proper teacher does the following. First, he teaches the student things that you could grasp on a very simple level, and he builds a relationship, he builds a trust. Once the student sees the teacher is smart, he's saying things that make sense, he has a lot of knowledge, then he'll begin to accept from him things which he can't fully understand, but if he gets the whole picture, at some point he will. But there has to be that leap of faith When the student is willing to trust his teacher to learn and to understand things that are above his grasp of knowledge. Hashem is the ultimate teacher. Hashem is telling us that there's some things which you can grasp which are easy. And there's a lot of stuff out there which are way above your comprehension. I need you to trust me. I'm going to explain to you the reasons for some things, for some mitzvahs, on a very simple level. And then there's going to be a lot of stuff which you have to see that you're not going to understand. Because they're way above you. You have to trust me. Hashem made there to be mitzvahs out there, which are so complicated and so hard for us to understand. So we should know and recognize that, yes, we're limited. We don't have full grasp of stuff. But we have that trust in Hashem that everything he does has a reason, has a purpose. And we're trusting him because of that relationship that we have with him, that everything he has is for a reason. And one day we'll understand him, it's Hashem. The parasha continues, and the parasha says how Miriam died, and the water the, the Jewish people stopped having water in the desert. It says Atamash Shah Miriam. And Miriam died, and because Miriam died, Miriam was the one who, in her merit, Clai had the be'er. And when she died, there's no more water, and that's when began the whole story of the main Mariva of Claiisho fighting with Moshe you know about the lack of water. But you look at Rashi over there, and Rashi says something interesting. Rashi said, Atamasha Miriam, and Miriam died. He says, Rashi. Miriam died the same as Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron died, which is what? Misas and Shika. This special level, so to speak, the highest level a person can reach, where when the person dies, it's like a kiss from Hashem. Hashem basically just kind of takes their soul out in the most painless manner. It's the highest madriga a human being can come to. And Miriam reached that madriga. Yet, by Aaron and by Moshe, the Torah speaks it out. By Miriam, it doesn't say it says Rashi, the Gemara, that although Miriam reached that madrega, the Torah didn't want to speak it out because G'nai Hula. It's a G'nai. It's, a, it's almost like an embarrassing thing. It's a shameful thing. And everyone who reads this Rashi struggles, what's the shameful thing here? We're talking about somebody who's a tzaddikist to the highest level. And we're saying that Hashem, you know, Hashem gave her Mises Nashika. What's the shameful thing? Some people want to say, you no, know, it's shameful to say that Hashem kissed a woman. Says there's Shem and Schwab, it can't be. First of all, anybody who ever read Shir Hashirim clearly understands that we're not ashamed about such a thing because the whole Shir Hashirim is a muscle, it's a parable between Hashem being the man and Klai being the woman. And it goes, it says all about kis Hashem kisses us. And number two, says Shem and Schwab, you find that Hashem is seen as our father. And everyone in so Yisrael is seen as a son or a daughter. There's nothing shameful between a father kissing a daughter, so that can't be what Rashi means. So, what does Rashi mean? It's a shameful thing, so to speak. It's a gnai Hula. So, I saw a beautiful shot from Shinshaphinkus. There's a Gemara by the Zara. The Gemara says that ben Trajan, at the time of the Romans, made a prohibition to teach terror in public. He went and he kind of ignored them. And he made a huge gathering, to taught Torah publicly, and he risked his life to teach Torah. And the Gemara describes how his Rebbe called him in, and he gave him a muster, he said, don't you realize the Romans, Hashem gave them power over us, we're in Gullus now, and they're going to kill you for this, and you're doing the wrong thing. Fine, back and forth, they debated it. At the end, Eberchenin HaMetrajin asks his Rebbe, what's my chilek in Elm So His Rebbe asks him, Did any good deed come to your hand? So he tells him, "Yeah." Thinks about it. Yeah, there was one time, there was money at Stucker from Purim and other money at Stucker, and I made a mistake and I ended up compensating Stucker from my own pocket. Okay. He says, "Okay, fine. That's what you did. You get a lamhav." Anyone who reads this Gemara, you're blown away. Talking about Ruchinim ben Tradi, talking about one of the greatest Amoraim who ever lived. He's somebody. Tan, I'm sorry, whoever lived, he's somebody who risked his life to teach Torah. Ultimately, he was killed like He's one of the Asar Haru Gemachos. He mentioned them every above and every Yom Kippur. They're to on the behalf of Klai. So, talk about one of the Tzadiki you Did anything good ever? Did you do anything good? He's like, Yeah, I one time gave some stucco money. Really? That's it? That's all? That's the only Misa? The man did Mitzahs his whole life. He learned everything. How can we say, maisa So the Farshim explain what it means is, did you ever do anything which nobody knew about? Did you ever do a Misa an act, a good deed which is completely penimious? Completely internal, completely there's no one else who knew about it, no one else will ever know about it. A Misa mitzvah which, between you and Hashem. Penimious, real, real pneumious. That's what he was looking for. That was going to be his ticket to Olam haba. Miriam HaNaviyah was a tzaddikist to the point where she gave Klai water and her schus for 40 years in Midbar. She's somebody who reached levels of Navua, one of the highest levels. In a certain sense, she's someone almost equal to Maisha and Aaron. She's up there. She's a tzaddikist in the fullest sense, but there's a difference. As a tzaddikist, she brought out in ikuda of Pemius. She brought out a Nakuda, this concept of doing things, reaching the highest madregas in a way that's only between you and Hashem. Between her and Hashem. No one had to know about it. It wasn't there. She wasn't giving Big Shi in public. That wasn't the point. The point was it was Panimius. It was between her and Hashem. For her to speak out her madregas says the Gemara, it was a Genaihula. It was something that she felt was shameful. For Miriam, who brought out that concept, that, 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 that mission of having a life of pneumius of completely, whatever you're doing is private, it stays between you and Hashem, pure doing things in the oif and of pneumius for her, to have anything about her said publicly, that's a gnai for her. And it's a madrigu that we can all work for, of, of, of having certain parts of our life in a way of pneumius of pure, just me and Hashem, and it has to be real, and no one else has to know about it. And that's the madriga Miriam Hanevia managed to reach. At the end of the parsha, the parsha describes how Claudius Stroll was attacked because they complained they were attacked by snakes. And the snakes would bite people, and people were dying. And Moshe Rabbeinu went and he made a Nechash HaNechashas, this copper, this bronze serpent on a, on, a, on a pillar, and the people would look after they got bitten, they would look at this at this serpent, and they would get healed. And the Gemara Rosh Hashanah says, how could it be? It can't be that the, look, just simply by looking at this copper serpent, they would get healed. Says the Gemara, no, the idea was that when they would look at it, they would, they would enslave their hearts to Hashem, and through the tefillahs, and through that, committing themselves to Hashem, that's what would heal them. Now, the question is, okay, so the idea was basically at the daven. So what's the point of looking at the copper serpent? If it's about davening to Hashem, so davening to Hashem, who needs the copper serpent? What's the point of the copper serpent? So I saw a beautiful shot from David Salvatrix at Sal. He says this, he says, The Ramban tells us that, whether medically, spiritually, for a person, a victim of a snake bite or any kind of animal bite, one of the worst things for them is to see that animal again. It makes them worse. It makes them. It makes their. It makes them. It's almost more dangerous. And in general, for a person to kind of relive that experience is very, very hard. The natural thing a person wants to do is to avoid it. Whenever a person is faced with a problem, something that just something that he's Yeshua from, right? So a lot of times people try to kind of. Avoid the issue. Try not to think about it. Try to avoid it. Yet, the highest madrega of betachin is when a person recognizes the full extent of the situation, he recognizes the full extent of the danger he's in, and beside that, to recognize that even though the situation is that bad, Hashem can still help me. Chay Yisrael was being told they had to get themselves to the highest level of betachin. If they wanted to pull out of this, so to speak, the situation of the snakes, they had to get themselves to a point where they look that snake in the eye, they have that nechash and in front of them, they look at it, they recognize what's going on, they get themselves to the highest level of there's no hope, but I have to, only Rashem can save me now. B'tachin isn't when a person hides from the reality. A person has to recognize that reality, recognize the severity of the situation, and recognize that even with all that, Hashem still runs the world, and he can take over and override that. And that's the highest level of b'tachin, and that's where the schutz that Hashem came and override nature and saved Chal Yisrael and healed them from. M'sho'ol Have a wonderful Shabbos.